Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Behind the Bark Podcast on Podbean. I'm Hayden Chambliss. And I'm Philip Hubbard, and this is episode 9 of season 2, which means we only got two more episodes remaining in this season. Isn't that so sad? It's bittersweet. You have to go and graduate. <laughs> so that we have two more left. So for today, we're going to do an all-UGA sports recap. Uh, so we'll start off by recapping, obviously, UGA's big win at Auburn over the weekend and then preview this weekend's matchup against Texas A&M. Then we'll shift the conversation to the Harwood inside Stegman Coliseum and discuss UGA men's basketball, uh, their early season success, and then obviously the impact Anthony Edwards has had on the team. And then we'll revisit uh, UGA women's basketball again and see where they are since our conversation with head coach Joni Taylor a couple weeks ago. So we have a lot to discuss, so why don't we jump right in. Uh, we're talking about Georgia's win over Auburn 21-14 to at Jordan-Hare Stadium this past Saturday. So this was not a statistics-based game by any means. Both teams had to play super physical and really had to earn everything that they had. So this game ultimately came down to a defense, and UGA won that department with a wide margin. They Definitely, really yeah. were able to stop Auburn on third down almost every play until you got to about the fourth quarter. So the game ceiling sack was huge for Georgia. Um, the Georgia defense, that, that really sealed the game for them. And then fourth and six incompletion by Auburn, Bo Nix. That was <laughs> an easy throw that he completely whiffed on. Definitely, and I just think that uh, game ceiling sack really like sends a message to the rest of the country that Georgia's defense is legit, that it's not a fluke. And uh, I, I know we've said it ever since uh, preseason that that was going to be the this, uh, separation Georgia has against the Clemsons, the Alabamas, and the LSUs of the world, that their defense is so deep and everything that they're just as good on the field as the bench players are waiting to get on the field. So I just think that that sack really um, like set the tone for the remainder of this season and probably puts uh, LSU on notice that you know they're going to have to block some pass rushers in order to give their quarterback, Joe Burrow, some time to really throw the ball and dissect Georgia's defense so the, the way they want to. And obviously it presents Texas A&M uh, with a challenge this week of blocking that big defensive front, being able to give their quarterback and their running back some room to maneuver and operate their offense. The SEC championship is going to be an extremely physical game. Definitely. The secondary is something that Georgia really prides themselves on. I mean, I know everyone has seen the picture of Kirby getting three feet off the ground and um, falling while <laughs> celebrating that sack. But don't you love it, though? I know. The it's, energy. It's really, he definitely had a lot of energy after that game, <laughs> if you heard the press conference. He dropped an F-bomb and everything. Oh, yeah. So. It was it was definitely an emotional <laughs> moment. But Auburn really fiddled around for the first three quarters, and... The fourth quarter, they posted a huge comeback effort, but they fell short and watched Georgia win the SEC East, which Florida is very disappointed about. They were definitely <laughs> chanting War Eagle during that game. But the 21 lead that the Bulldogs had evaporated super quickly during that fourth quarter. And really, I think it scared them. I think that that was, it did what it needed to, to the fact that Georgia picked back up the pace. The defense the secondary stepped back up and they realized like, oh, this isn't in the bag. We have to keep playing, which is something that I think a lot of teams, specifically Georgia, does when they when you go into a locker room and the score is twenty one to zero or something to zero, it's hard to go back and play with the same tenacity because you feel like you have it. You feel like you're running the field 
and that can change super quickly, especially in the SEC. In halftime, both teams struggled yet again. They um, had a pair of three and outs, and Georgia went for 88 yards in 12 plays for the third score of the night, which was Eli Wolf. Jake Fromm has really enjoyed, I think, passing to him this, this season. He's really liked hitting him. Um, and it's been effective. Definitely. And, you know, you've got to admire the will of Auburn and their team that, you know, they come in with their coming to the fourth quarter down three scores. And all of a sudden, I mean, you think you're out of it. And then, you know, Gus Malzahn turns into like an offensive wizard and gets the uh, Georgia defense out of uh, position, was able to put two touchdowns on the board there in the fourth quarter. Ironically, I wasn't even watching the game until as soon as I turned the TV on, like two plays later, Auburn scored their first touchdown. So I thought the game was over by the time I turned it on, but then as I continue watching, obviously they made it close. But obviously, like, the game was decided on that fourth and six miscompletion or incompletion, rather, by Bo Nix. You know, here you've heard the freshman wonder ever since he had a standout performance against Oregon the first week of the season. And a common throw, his running back came out of the flat, out of the backfield, wide open. Uh, he had a little pressure, but still enough to really, like, step into the throw and uh, make throw an accurate pass, and he just didn't. And uh, so that's obviously obviously one he wants back. I just think that Georgia defense just got in his head from, you know, pressuring him all night and everything. I think he rushed the throw a little bit. You know, Georgia definitely caught a break because the running back, if he had caught it, that he had six yards easily. There was nobody in sight to really uh, stop him short of a first down. So obviously, like, Georgia rebounded with a sack there uh, to definitely seal the game. But with two and a half minutes left to go when they got the ball, when Auburn got the ball back, that uh, I didn't think Auburn really had a chance because both of their scoring drives were like long, time-consuming drives, and I just didn't think they could like really go down the field in two and a half minutes. Plus, I didn't think Kirby would allow them to go down the field two and a half minutes. I know that game was definitely nerve-wracking for both sidelines. I mean, where do you think that this leaves Malzahn's coaching career? Because, you know, the, a bunch of donors, high-paying donors, really want him out. He's considered, I think, stepping down, stepping into another role. Um, and there's also been talk of firing him. And I think it would be a very different story if he had been able to win this game. Honestly, I think this loss actually strengthens his resume to stay. Because if you... I mean, he started a freshman quarterback, which I said from the very beginning was to save his job so that way he could develop this quarterback and that could be his pitch to the ADs why he needs to stay. And so the fact that he just missed a throw, his pitch now can be to the AD. See, we're one throw away from tying Georgia and possibly beating them. So uh, give me like two more years to develop him and if he if we're not winning the SEC West and if we're not winning the SEC Championship, then fire me. I see that as a as a plus for Gus Malzahn, unfortunately for Georgia fans. But hey, we want him to stay. That is true. That is true. He's what two and six against Georgia. Yeah. Or one and six yeah, or something like that. Third so. game in a winning streak. So. Yeah. But I, I think like it just I think the fact that his freshman quarterback lost in the game and that's been his bread and butter to like really strengthen his resume to stay. I think that's that's what's going to keep his job. So that way they can develop this freshman quarterback under a stable leadership versus changing leadership as a freshman. Mm -hmm. So, Agreed. Um, so let's talk about Texas A&M. 
that is my the game that I have been looking forward to this season. Um, if you'll remember, if you'll remember earlier this season, that's the game that I thought Georgia was gonna lose. Hopefully, that's not still the case because that'll be the second loss of the season. Um, and will possibly put them out of the college football playoff. Right. Definitely. I so I think that's very important. Um, so it's a three thirty game. CBS. We'll see. CBS yeah. has gotten tons of good Georgia games this season. Um, they've really picked a good SEC package. It's at home, so that's a good advantage for Georgia. Georgia's home crowd is definitely something to contend with. Um, but it's the first time these teams have met, and the first time in Stanford Stadium. And they've had a really up-and-down year this year, Texas A&M has. Yeah. Um, but they've hit an upward trend as of late. They're on a four-game winning streak. They beat South Carolina last week, 30-6. to Georgia can't say the same. <laughs> um, Kirby really said about Jimbo Fisher, which I think is interesting. Um, so he has a two-back shotgun offense that's similar to the triple option, which is interesting to say because, you know, Georgia thought they were getting away from having to play a triple option and kind of prepare for something very different like that. And then for Kirby to come out and say that that's very similar to a triple option, um, it kind of not sparks a little bit of, worry or doubt but it just makes you think like okay we don't know or Georgia doesn't know what they're walking into exactly especially since they have not played them before and Texas football as a whole is a completely different animal definitely and then I mean you look at the other side though like Jimbo he because he was asked in his press conference because his was after Kirby that you know this is what Kirby said what are your thoughts and he's like well I just don't see that as our, our complete offense I just see that as our base that we could, you know, go to a five wide receiver set. We could go to a single back. We could go to a power eye, and still like the the two back shotgun. I think it's called like a split pro or something like that is the technical term. That that is their base that they run everything else out of. So um, I just I, I don't I don't see a triple option attack out of it. I can see why Kirby would compare it to a triple option. I see it more as like a wishbone. And um, more of the shotgun, obviously, than under center. But I don't think it's going to cause many problems for Georgia's defense because I, I think they're going to watch the Alabama tape. They're going to watch the – I think they played LSU this year too, Texas A&M did. I think they're just going to watch that tape. And um, they're a lot more physical and a lot of, uh, bigger up front than those two teams. And I, I just don't think they'll have um, that much – that many issues with that offense. Well, I think everybody can say that Jake Fromm has his off games, have his off, has his off plays, but he is much more solid than Texas A&M's quarterback, Kellen yeah, Mond, yeah. even though he threw for, I think, 335 yards um, against Auburn. He struggled against Clemson and was like, okay, against Alabama, um, which Alabama has a huge defense. So um, much very similar to... Georgia's definitely so I think that our line on both sides of the ball is they're really gonna have to do their job um, because at this point in the season Texas A&M has plenty of film to watch both of the line doing what they're supposed to do and of the line not doing what they're supposed to do so the strengths and weaknesses are definitely very exposed there definitely and you've got to really like look at Texas A&M's schedule and honestly, like, feel bad for them 
because they, they drew a horrible schedule this year. Let's look at it here. They go to Clemson, then they played Alabama at home, then they go to Mississippi. I mean, they just had, uh, like, every major opponent they've had other than Alabama, they've had to play them on the road this year. So, um, uh, and obviously it doesn't get any easier uh, with playing Georgia. And then the next week they go on, to the road, on the road to Death Valley to play um, LSU. So the fact that they've like got all these road games against these uh, superior opponents this schedule, you got to feel bad for them. And the fact that they've only got three losses on the year, and one of them's to Auburn, uh, Clemson, and Alabama. I mean, they're they're looking pretty good for their um, their schedule strength. So uh, definitely uh, battle tested Aggies football team. Uh, Georgia's battle tested, obviously, but. I just think that um, you know the the talent is just going to be too superior again. The road atmosphere, even though they have, I think, I mean, obviously Jimbo Fisher is more experienced as a head coach than Kirby is, but I just don't think that he can adequately prepare his guys for the atmosphere that uh, Sanford Stadium, the beast that it is, and uh, the light show. And well, it won't be a light show, but it is still it'll be, be dark by that point. But it it'll be intense. And uh, the fact that they have a young football team and all that kind of stuff, I, it's just, you know, I don't think Texas A&M is completely out of it, but I, I don't think, I think as the game goes along that Georgia's uh, depth and Georgia's defense is just going to uh, shut that offense down and it's going to cause problems for the offensive line to allow their offense to uh, keep up any consistency that they could probably muster up. So the one advantage I really see Texas A&M having is that they love to control the possession time. They love to have the ball, even if they're not doing anything with it. They want to keep it away from their opponent to keep them from scoring. They also don't really allow big passing plays, which Georgia is not a huge passing team. But in their last four games, they have allowed no more than 46% of passes from the opposing team. And Jake Fromm has been under 47% in the last two games against Missouri and Auburn. So he's already not reaching that threshold that they allow. So I feel like it's going to be a little lower. And I think that probably Georgia's not going to try and pass the ball as much as they have been earlier this season. Definitely. So it should be an interesting game. As we said, it's going to be on CBS at 330 um, at Sanford Stadium, and I think we've already mentioned it, but just mention it again. This is the first time Texas A&M has played Georgia and the first time that they'll play in Sanford Stadium. They actually played in 2009, I think Independence Bowl, before they were in the SEC. That's true, that's true. So this is the first conference game and the first home game for a team. Um, Which is crazy because Texas A&M has been in, in the SEC since 2012. Yes, and they're in the West, obviously not in the East, but still, that's how deep this conference is. That they're they've been in here for seven years, and this will be the first time they play against Georgia as a conference opponent. So, so what's your score prediction? I have no idea. I'm thinking 31-17. Georgia, I, Georgia yeah. winning. Yes, I agree with that ballpark. It's not going to be a high-scoring game. Definitely not at all because it's going to be limited possessions. They're not going to get. Neither team, I don't think, is going to get the ball enough. Also, to... I don't think Georgia's going to try and stretch themselves too thin because in about two weeks' time, they have to face LSU, who's arguably the number one, number two 
team in the nation. Yeah. So should be interesting. We'll see what Georgia does. Uh, so that's Saturday again at 3:30 at Sanford Stadium. Now we're going to shift our focus over here to uh, men's basketball, who is currently three and zero on the season. Their wins are all at home. They've played nothing but home games. Uh, they they defeated Western Carolina ninety one to seventy two, uh, defeated the Citadel ninety five to eighty six, which was a closer game than most people probably anticipated, and then their latest win came against Delaware State, which they won a hundred to sixty six. So not even a, con- a close contest, but obviously all the talk around the program has been Anthony Edwards, the freshman uh, standout already. Not averaging 19.7 points a game, 3.3 steals, 4.7 assists, and a little over five rebounds per game. Uh, he's doing all that while shooting almost 44% field goal percentage and 38% from three-point range. So he's definitely having a, a freshman uh, breakout season and is getting eyes all on the men's basketball program here with him and Coach Tom Crean really turning this program around three games into the season. So uh, the one thing that impressed me or has impressed me the most about Edwards is the fact that after the Delaware State game, he went and shot more three-pointers, free throws, and all that kind of stuff. Our former Grady Sports colleague Jed May over at the uh, Making Telegraph recorded a video of him after the game shooting and posted it on Twitter. And the fact that a freshman is that determined to still get better as he goes along um, three games into his into his uh, freshman year and all that kind of stuff, it kind of reminds me of Jalen Hurts. Uh, every game this season, after they've won convincingly, he has still gone to the locker room to work out to get better. So um, that I've been I've been impressed by the freshman, and obviously he there's still room for improvement. I'm sure Cream wants him shooting better from three point range, but three games into the year, he's got. Crean and all Georgia basketball fans have got to be excited about the future of Anthony Edwards. So the one thing that Crean kept saying last year, the media kept focusing on, was that Georgia had no point guard. And now you have Anthony Edwards and Sevier Wheeler, which have both put in all their effort. And then when you see Anthony Edwards practicing after a game, staying late after practice, that is, I think, what any coach wants to see in an athlete, especially a freshman. Um, The only thing that I think fans can be concerned about right now is he might be a one-season deal. And, I mean, that would be the smartest decision for him because that is the way that basketball really works is that you don't want to take the chance of tearing your ACL, twisting a knee, um, hurting something that can – decrease your draft stock later so we'll see what that um what he does here in his freshman debut um they play their arch rival tonight against georgia tech uh at 7 p.m again here in athens which they have a current six game winning streak over the yellow jackets i would not call it an arch rival an arch rival. That's what we're going to, in-state rival. In-state rival. In-state rival Georgia Tech. Uh, now let's shift over to women's basketball while we're talking about in-state rival Georgia Tech and uh, talk about UGA women's basketball. Uh, they're 2-1. Two, two wins came against Kennesaw State and North Carolina A&T. 
Uh, and their one loss is to Georgia Tech, 73-40. to First, this UGA's first loss to Tech at home in 18 games. They are 17-1 against Georgia all-time at Stegman uh, Coliseum. That in- increases Tech's winning streak over the Lady Bulldogs to two games. UGA women's basketball, the road ahead is very, very troublesome for the Lady Bulldogs. Yes, they have 20 home games this year opposed to just nine away games. But one of those nine away games is at number two, Baylor. Um, They travel there and then they host number 11, UCLA. And that's before they even enter SEC play. So they do not have an easy non-conference schedule. Uh, what are you thinking uh, as far as how this UGA women's basketball team can get better moving forward? The team looks good. I will say that. The team looks very solid. Um, Stephanie Paul has really stepped up as a vocal leader. Um, she, You can see her on the court, whether it's in pregame warm-ups or shooting around before the game or during the game. She is really like kind of doing what a middle linebacker does and like, helping everyone get to their position, um, helping set other people up for shots, and then really getting those rebounds, which also Jenna Stady is doing an amazing job. Definitely, She's six yeah. foot four. She should have no problem reaching above everybody else's head and getting those layups. Um, and then Mallory Bates, she's hit a couple of three-pointers three that have really been successful. She, You can definitely tell that she has worked on those. And then, of course, you have this season's team leader, which is – Gabby Connolly, and she's really, really doing well with her field goal percentage. She's making a lot of shots. She's definitely leading the team there. I think she's had a few double-doubles this season so far. Um, I think two, actually. Um, But against Georgia Tech, what happened was, so they were up during the first quarter. They were down by, like, two at half. And so I was shooting the game for um, IMG and... So I'm not looking at the score. I'm just looking at what's happening through my viewfinder. And by halftime, I thought Georgia was winning because they were the level of play, like in how aggressive they were playing and that the ball was constantly up and down, up and down the court. It never really was staying on one side. So it wasn't really apparent that, you know, Georgia Tech was slightly ahead of them. Um, But in the third and fourth quarter, Georgia Tech hit an insane amount of threes. I mean, it was back to back to back and I was next to the Georgia Tech um, bench and it was, they were standing up the whole last half of the game. Um, UGA band behind me was very upset about it, (laughs) saying some pretty harsh things to them, but they really, Georgia Tech earned it. And I think it made Georgia realize that they need to, um, they really need to practice on the three pointers. Because there's quite a few women on that team that have amazing potential that we've seen glimpses of, but they have not fully gone that way. Which the three-pointer is still a very new um, skill that's required for women's basketball. Yeah, It didn't used to be a thing probably like five years ago. So Gotcha. And that's something that Coach Taylor uh, touched on in our conversation with her a couple weeks ago. Uh, as far as like point guard play from Gabby uh, Connolly. And uh, so the fact that she's improved so much and now that she is the point guard, Tanja Cole is transferred to Virginia Tech. 
I think that's probably like a confidence booster for Gabby. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that I think that you can attribute confidence and the fact that she ha does not have to really compete for that job per se for the point guard position. So definitely uh, improvements there, even though they did take the loss to the Lady Yellow Jackets. Uh, it's definitely, I think they're a better overall team this year than they were last year. And uh, I definitely see them competing uh, for an NCAA tournament bid later in the season. So we'll see what that happens, but that does it here. For Behind the Bark, don't forget to uh, continue following us on social media, Twitter and Instagram on behind, at Behind Bark. Um, again, we thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Hope you download this episode on Podbean. Until then, we will talk to y'all later. Hope y'all have a great day.